0: Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things, to plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's gonna enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, And then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. You got your Bibles, head over to Mark chapter 9. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. By the way, I come to you four pounds heavier than the last time I saw you, uh, which I think in my mind, that just means the sermon's four pounds better. That's what's going to happen today. And uh, so, man, while you turn there, one quick thing. Um, Last time I was with you, week before last. Um, was our Commitment Sunday for No More Fatherless. And uh, the number one email, the number one text message, the number one question I'm getting in the lobby is, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? Okay. Well, here's the deal. Uh, We'll be announcing that. We're not announcing that this week. Uh, Right now we are, I'll give you a little hint. We're not quite there, but we are close. We're in striking distance. Um, and I think we are going to be able to make it, but it's going to require 100% participation from our church. And so, man, uh, if you're out there and you are still praying uh, with your family, man, how do we want to be involved? That kind of thing. Uh, grab that little card on the seat in front of you and uh, go home with your spouse, pray, drop that in the mail tomorrow, or uh, or you can just drop it at the gift station on your way out. Either way, that's awesome. Uh, but we'll be announcing that Next week, okay. Next week, we'll announce that and, uh, and celebrate that together. So, heads up on that. Uh, here's where we are today. Uh, we are finishing a series that we're just calling Asking for a Friend, okay. And here's where this came from. Uh, on Easter, every Easter, we do an annual survey. We're on Easter. Uh, we just kind of solicit some questions. And one of the questions is, what is, uh, the, what is the thing or things that you are most curious about? Like, what, what does the Bible have to say about this? Um, and the reason we do that is because if you read the Gospels carefully, uh, about 60% of Jesus preaching is him answering questions people are asking. And so we want to do the same thing. So on Easter, uh, we got about a little over 3,000 responses to that question. And uh, what we're hitting today is the number one, it was far and away, not even close, um, the number one uh, question that you guys had, uh, and we're going to hit that today. The reason that we're calling this series Asking for a Friend is because uh, there, you know, it's, there's these questions that it's like, dude, I want to know the answer to this. Um, but honestly, I'm a little embarrassed to ask. I like this week, I just kind of got some help with this and you guys gave me some of these. So somebody was like, man, can, can you cook bacon with a hair straightener? Asking for a friend, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, does, this was one of my favorites. Does waffle house serve alcohol? Asking for a friend, uh, young mom, is it okay to wear a Snuggie to pick up your daughter from school? Asking for a friend. Uh, does anyone know how many calories you burn standing on a scale crying, asking for a friend? And then, uh, and then, does anyone know how to perform an exorcism on a child, asking for a friend? That one feels really relevant after a week at home, kids out of school. Amen? Amen. Okay? Now, that also leads into uh, the message that we're hitting today. Uh, and the reason for that is, by, by far, far and away, uh, the most uh, common question you had is, what about spiritual warfare? Uh, and then people wrote in like some corollary. What about demons, like exorcisms? Uh, can Christians be possessed? This is a big one. Can, Christian, can a Christian be possessed by a demon. And that's, I know for some of you, me even just saying, this is what we're going to talk about right now. You're like, how do I act like I'm going to the bathroom and get out of here? Okay. And some of you are like, dude, uh, you know, are we, Josh, are we going to turn into like one of those weird churches? Well, maybe. Okay. If the ushers could go ahead and bring the poisonous snakes forward, that'd be great. Obviously I'm kidding. Poisonous snakes are at the end of the service that you guys know how that works. Uh, but no, what we want to do today is we just want to ask that question and just deal bluntly with what the Bible has to say about this issue. So if you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Mark 9. Pick up with me in Mark 9.25. Okay? And what we're getting here is the end of a story where Jesus uh, sends his disciples out to do a few things. He said, preach good news. Heal the sick, raise the dead. And on those first three, we're all cool. We're all like, yes, I want to see more of that. If we saw that in the church, that'd be amazing. And then he says a fourth thing that makes some of us like freak out. And they said, Cast out demons. Okay. And then his disciples go and they come upon an unclean spirit that for whatever reason they cannot cast out. And we're getting here at the end of that story and how Jesus explains that. So pick up with me in verse 25. Here's what Jesus says. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, and this is essentially my entire sermon is this sentence. This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, listen, those are my three points. This kind can only come out by prayer. That's it. I'm going to tell you where I'm going, and I'm going there. Okay, so let's do this. Point number one, let's just say this. The fact that he says this kind, the implication is that there is that kind So let me just say something really blunt. What the Bible teaches is that the devil and demons are real. They're real. Now, let me give you a quick Bible overview of what it teaches about this subject. The Bible only names three angels by name. They are Michael, Gabriel, and then an angel, a former angel, an angel named Lucifer. And the Bible tells the same story three different times, about a time uh, at some point in history before God created mankind where the angel named Lucifer uh, looked at all of the worship that God was receiving in heaven and thought, huh, I'd like to get some of that for myself. And so he began to lead a rebellion against God in heaven. And the Bible teaches that a third of the angels rebelled with Lucifer against God. Now, I just want to say this. All of those passages are really short. This was not some big long epic, a battle between good and evil that lasted a long time, two hour Star Wars movie. No, no, no. This was not an even fight between God and the devil. Uh, this was like a snap your fingers and credits. Like it's, it was over. Uh, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That happened about one millisecond after he rebelled against our Heavenly Father. Okay? So you get, for you Bible scholars, if you want to go home and read more about this, I'm going to give you two passages. Go read Isaiah 14. And Ezekiel 28. Scholars almost unanimously agree. Both of them are about this occurrence. Uh, And then I'll give you one more from the book of Revelation. Revelation 12 says this. Now, really quick, listen, look at me. Misconception about the book of Revelation. A lot of people think Revelation is all Revelation about the future, what will happen. Most of the book of Revelation is Revelation about what's been going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm throughout human history. And this passage is one of those passages. So it describes this rebellion and what happened in Revelation 12. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. Amen. I like that part. That's one of my, he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. Bookmark that in your head, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So that's what we have. The devil, Lucifer, and a third of the angels were cast down from heaven. And that's where we get the devil and demons. Now, right here, at this point, this is a spot in the sermon where people have two very different responses to this. C.S. Lewis said that there are two uh, equal and opposite errors. That Christians can make when it comes to thinking about the devil and demons. Here's what he said. On the one hand, you can be cynical. You can be the person who, every time somebody ever talks about this, you roll your eyes. You'd never say it out loud, but you're like, really? You know, kind of that person. Cynicism. On the other hand, you can be a person who is overly soup, not cynicism, superstition. You're really superstitious. This is the person that sees a demon behind literally everything. You know, it's like, Pro- car problems, Chevron demon, you know. Uh, a county votes Republican, you wanted to vote t- Democrat, territorial spirit. You know, uh, I once, I literally once saw somebody uh, rebuke a pecan pie in the name of the Lord. Uh, that is not a joke. That's just a fact. I watched it happen. Uh, and this is that person. So not cynicism, but, but being superstitious. Some of you are like, man, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. Okay. Well, just understand equal and opposite errors, cynicism and superstition. So let me, let me just say this. This is an area that I believe the bridge, this church needs to grow in okay? We have people from a lot of different church backgrounds in our church. I've got a friend who listens to the podcast, and he always says, Josh, uh, the bridge, it seems presbapticostal. That's what he says. We got, And that's true. We have a lot of people that come from Baptist and Presbyterian backgrounds, and some of you came from charismatic and Pentecostal backgrounds, okay? Now, what that means, Baptists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, that means we are predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. That's what it means about our <laughs> church, Okay? But Riz, in all seriousness, here's what that really means when it comes to the sermon today. I, I was really excited to say that. Uh, here, here's what it really means when it comes to the sermon. Some of you, some of you, you're hearing this and what you're thinking is, do we really have to talk about this? Okay, you're over here. Others of you, you grew up in charismatic and Pente- Pentecostal backgrounds and now you're thinking, now we're getting to the good stuff. Okay, that, that's what you're thinking. Let me just say this. If you're in either one of those camps, you need to come to the middle. Let me just say, you're in either one of those camps. What we need is we need you to come to the middle. Now, for you skeptics, if you come from a background like me, this is something that was not part of my faith uh, background at all. And I default to skepticism on this. So I struggled with whether it was logical for a long time. If you're here and you're a person, you're going, man, Josh, isn't it just sort of primitive and illogical to believe in Satan and demons? Well, here's what I'd say. I just point this out to you. Right now, 96% of the world's population believes in some form of God or gods. So, 96% of the world thinks it's logical to believe in a personal, supernatural being of good. So, let me just say this if it's logical to believe in personal, supernatural good, why is it illogical to believe in beings of personal, supernatural evil? It's not. It's simply not. That's just a cultural thing that's been pressed into you. Now, here's another objection. You may say, Josh, no one's ever going to look into a microscope and see evidence of demonic activity. Okay, here's what I would say. Another pastor I trust a lot, he said this. He said, man, you'll never see evidence of demonic activity by looking into a microscope. You'll see it by looking into the rearview mirror. Now, some of you that drove uh, to church with your kids in the backseat are like, oh, I understand. I understand. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, look in the rearview mirror of your life. That's what I mean. If you look in the rearview mirror of your life, if your life is anything like mine, there are certain moments in your life that you'll look back at and you'll think, man, that temptation was just too perfectly timed. There's no way that was a coincidence. Or you may be saying, man, the sin that I struggle with so much, why is it just the perfect, the exact right sin to cut me off from my calling? Or you may look back in your life and you can pinpoint a moment and you can say, man, Why was it that the exact wrong person came into the exact wrong place in my life at the exact wrong time? Or you right now, if you were to look at your marriage problems or like a a really jacked up relationship you have with the church and you were to look back, you may go, man, this is really strange. But all of the exact wrong dominoes fell at the exact wrong time to create a perfect storm in my marriage or in my community group, and I just don't understand it. Well, you know what's happening? You don't see evidence for demonic activity in a microscope. You see it by looking into into the rearview mirror of your life, and you'll see that if you look back. Now, if you come from a background like mine, let me have a pastoral moment with you for a second, okay? If you default to cynicism towards the spiritual and cynicism towards demons and demonic activity... I want to gently ask you to consider the possibility that what you're really wrestling with is not cynicism, it's worldliness. It's worldliness. Now, right, you may be going, worldliness. I thought worldliness was like, you know, Josh, worldliness is low cut tops and R rated movies besides The Passion of the Christ and you know, certain words that we don't say, don't drink, smoke, cuss, chew, hang out with those. I thought that stuff was worldliness. Okay, well, listen, think about this. What does Romans 12 say? It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So do you know what it's saying? In the Bible, worldliness is not just watching the movies that the world watches. Worldliness is thinking the thoughts that the world thinks. And do you know what the world's posture is towards the spiritual and the demonic? You know what it is? Cynicism. I want you to gently consider the... Po- Let me, here's my question. Is it possible that your attitude towards the spiritual has been more influenced by the world than the Bible? Is that possible? Okay, now, I, this is what I'm saying. I wanna want get into this. There's a, here, now, let me tell you about why this is important. I got a pastor friend that I really respect who uh, he's in a church with a very robust belief in the spiritual and uh, the demonic and spiritual warfare. And there was a guy in his church that uh, was saved in the 1970s Jesus movement. Does anybody remember the Jesus movement, 70s? That's right, where are, that's right, where are our 70s folks at? So in the 70s, there was, that's right, I saw it. Somebody back here, peace. That's it, man. So in, in the 70s, there was a genuine revival that swept through our nation and uh, thousands of people were converted in a, a really powerful movement. Uh, and the Jesus movement had a very full belief in the spiritual and spiritual warfare. So this guy had a guy in his church that was converted in the Jesus movement. He went to a church with a strong belief in the spiritual. Then he went to a Christian college with a strong belief in spiritual warfare. Then he worked at a church with a strong belief in spiritual warfare. Then he went to the mission field uh, in a place where there was a lot of spiritual warfare and uh, demonic activity and work with people who believed in that. And then he was transferred to a place with some missionaries, I won't say from what type of church, that did not believe in the reality of spiritual warfare or the demonic, and he, he was just dumbfounded, and so he sat down with these people and he said, "Wait, so you don't believe in demons?" And they said, "Well, well no, you know." And he said, well, "Why not, you know?" And they gave some long, really stupid answer, and uh, and then he went, "Well, so so he said, so you don't." cast out demons? And he said, well, no. And listen to his really, his pure childlike response. His response was, you just leave them in? (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) Now, Now, listen, you may laugh at that, but let me say this. Do you realize this? Those are the only two options. If we take the New Testament seriously, those are the only two options. So point number one, the devil and demons are real. Now, point number two, point number two, it says this kind can only come out the fact that it says can only come out means that they can get in. Now, here's the number one question everybody asks on this issue. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Let me, let me answer this question. First of all, the answer is no. The Bible teach, teaches that when we become a Christian, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that uh, uh, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the Holy Spirit, wherever he is, there's not a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So the answer is no, but, it's a no but, okay? If you read the Bible, you'll notice there are many examples where Jesus himself will point at somebody who is a Christian and uh, imply that they are under the influence of Satan and demons. Many times, Jesus uh, points to Peter who says something in pride and arrogance and says, get behind me, Satan. He addresses the spirit in the person. So let me give you an example of how this works, okay? Let me give this this illustration. Let's say today uh, you left your house to come to church, and you left some windows and doors open and unlocked at your house. And while you're here, let's say a thief uh, gets into your house to steal and destroy. Let's say that happens, okay? Let me ask you this question, class. Does that thief possess, does he own your house? What's the answer to that? No, the answer is no. Doesn't own your house, but he is in your house. You see what I'm saying? The Bible teaches it's the exact same way with Satan and demons in the life of a Christian. Is that he cannot possess you. But it is possible for you to leave windows and doors in your life open to him. If you continue in uh, habitual, uh, habitual sin, if you're continually looking at pornography, if you're continually uh, embracing a spirit of gossip, if you are continually giving yourself over to a spirit of unforgiveness, rivalry, envy, bitterness, uh, hold, the holding of grudges, What you're doing is you are leaving windows and doors in your life open to the demonic. Now, let me give some examples of how this works. The Bible says we are to not take part in any way in deeds of darkness. It says this, instead, expose them. So what I want to do is I want to expose how the devil and demons work uh, to, to do what the Bible says. So listen, for instance, John 8. In John 8, Jesus calls the devil, he says he's the father of lies, Did you know this? Here's one way the devil works. He will come into your life at the exact wrong time, and he will plant a lie in your life about yourself at the wrong time. And if you believe that lie about yourself, it will shape your entire life, and it can steal and kill and destroy from you. And some of you may hear that, and you may go, "Wait, wait a second, Josh. I've met with a counselor and a therapist, and I agree with you, that believing a lie has shaped and destroyed my entire life. But I figured out that lie came from my mom or from my dad. Well, listen, it may have come through your parents, it came from the devil. Do you know why I know that? Because he is the father of lies. You may, when you believe that lie, you may see your abusive father's face. I want you to hear the devil's forked tongue. He's the father of lies. Okay? John 8 says that. Uh, Matthew 24. Jesus says at the end of time that demons will empower false teachers to perform uh, miracles, signs, and wonders. Counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect is what Jesus says. So in other words, you need to know this. Sometimes demons empower false teachers and other religions to do real miracles. You may go, man, are they real? Yeah, they're real. They're really demonic. That's the problem with people who are just genuine or generally spiritual. If you just say, "Man, I'm just a generally spiritual person." Well, listen, there are good spirits and there are evil spirits, okay? So he'll do this to produce confusion. 1 Timothy 4. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul calls false teachers and specifically Christian legalism the teaching of demons. Did you realize that? Sometimes there will be people... Listen to me. I'm your pastor. I love you. I need you to understand this. There will be people who will stand on platforms and hold this exact book, and they will be twisting and distorting what is in this book... And people by the millions will believe them. And they seem to have an incredibly powerful ministry. Do you know why they have an incredibly powerful ministry? They are being empowered by demons, according to 1 Timothy 4. False teachers, okay? I'll give you one last one, and it's going to freak some of you out. It's going to result in a few emails, so I'm just going to read it straight from the Bible. This is Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 says this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Some of your Bibles will say, "Let his son pass through the fire." Uh, That that was a way they worshipped a demonic, false god. Anyone who practices this is this. Now listen. Anyone who practices divination, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens or a sorcerer, that's any kind of witchcraft, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. The New Testament tells us that those practices are empowered by demons. So you may, some of you, honestly, you may have seen fortune tellers, people who claim to be able to speak to the dead, and they can seemingly say things that nobody else could know. You may, are the, you may be going, man, is that real? Yeah, it's real. It's really demonic. So let me just get super practical. Man, when you dabble in things like Ouija boards, fortune tellers, tarot cards, listen, horoscopes. Listen to me. Don't read your horoscope. Do you want to know what your future is? That's your future. Right there, this is your future. So listen, we don't, the Bible says, have nothing to do with any of those things. Because they are real. And they're empowered by an evil spiritual realm. Now, again, what the Bible says my job is to do as your pastor, is to take no part in deeds of darkness, but to instead expose them. Here's what's really interesting. When you read the Bible, the devil and demons, all, they have the same, they, listen, they, they're like a bad football team. They run the same play over and over and over and over. Tennessee versus Vandy, over and over. and They do it every single time. So let me just do this really quick. I want to expose what his strategy is going to be in your life. And what's going to happen in the next five minutes is some of you, listen to me, listen. What's going to happen in the next five minutes is going to be good news for some of you. Because for the first time in your life, you're going to go, oh my gosh, that is what's been happening to me for decades. Okay? So see this. Now, here's how it works. I'm going to toss them up on the screen. Let me say it. Let me walk through them. He runs four plays. Same play, four parts. Uh, They all end with Asian. Because I'm a really gifted teacher, okay? So so here's what it is. Here's here's the four things. Temptation, accusation, isolation, annihilation. Happens every single time. Temptation, accusation, isolation, annihilation. Now here's how this works. Let me start at the top. Temptation. The first thing the devil's going to do, he's going to come to you and he's going to say, look what you could do. No one will ever find out. It's going to be safe. Look what you could do. Now uh, on this, let me, you Bible scholars, this kind of thing, let me help you out. When you read in the New Testament the word demon-possessed, Bible scholars unanimously agree that's a bad translation. The Greek word is literally what it The better translation is demonized. Not demon-possessed, demonized. Now here, here's how that word works. Uh, here's, here's another example. You he guys heard the word fossilized. What happens when something fossilizes is you take a normal thing and when it hardens to the point that it's almost indestructible, we say, oh, it became fossilized. Here, here's, how, here's how demonized works. Whenever there's a temptation in your life and it's a normal temptation, a normal desire, and then over time, it hardens into a seemingly enslaving desire. You, it's not that you won't say no anymore, it's that you can't say no anymore. Do you know what happened? demonized. That's what happens. That's what the Bible says. So listen, is there an area in your life that you cannot get freedom in? You have tried for years and maybe decades. You've confessed it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I can't say enough overs. Is there a lie that you've believed about yourself that has shaped your entire life? And no matter how hard you try not to believe it, you can't Not believe it. Listen, if that's you, wake up. Wake up. That is one way that he works. So it starts with temptation. Okay, Now listen, if he succeeds at the first, he moves to second, to accusation. In accusation, what the devil does is he wants to take, listen, what you did and convince you that it's who you are. So so you didn't just commit adultery. He says, you are an adulterer, and that's all you'll ever be. Uh, You didn't just lose your temper with your kids. You are an abusive, raging, horrible father. Uh, You didn't just uh, commit gossip. You are a gossip. You didn't just do something twisted. He points a finger in your face and says, you are sick. You are twisted. That's all you'll ever be. You see, he moves to accusation. So this is the voice inside of your head that says, you're nothing but a. You'll always be a. You're sick. There's something wrong with you. You're twisted. That's the voice of accusation. Now, this next step is where it moves to becoming dangerous. If he can get you to give in to temptation, and if he can get you to believe accusation, the Bible says he's the the accuser of the brethren. If he can get you to believe the accusation, The dangerous spot is he begins to move you into isolation. The book of Proverbs says, He who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. I'll give you another one. The book of 1 Peter says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Notice this lion, cat family, Satan. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Okay, just want to get there, you got that. Okay, did you see that? I just need to get a little comic relief in in the middle here. This is a heavy sermon. This a, I need to get that in. Now listen, here's how isolation works. If you guys ever watch like National Geographic Channel and the, they'll show the big herd of gazelle and then there's lions that are hunting. Okay, they always, Whenever you see it, you'll notice this. They only get one of them. Which one of the herd is the one that they always get? Which one is it? Okay, some of you said, listen, it's not the weakest one. It's not the weakest one, it's, it's the most isolated one. It, it, there's always there's the whole herd's going this way, there's one little idiot that runs right over here and all the you know all the pack they just run straight at it and they just pounce right on it. Now, I just want let me give I'm going to give you a visual illustration because as a pastor I see this hundreds of times. This is how the devil works, okay? And our, every elder in our church will tell you with wide eyes, that's exactly what happens. If you give in to temptation and you have an issue in your life uh, of sin and you begin to believe the accusation, now listen, I'm going to give you a visual illustration. What most people do is that's when they start distancing themselves from the church and from spiritual authority. i got this issue in my life, so i got to get out of my community group. i got this issue in my life, I need to back away from my Christian friends. i got this issue in my life, man, I don't feel comfortable coming to worship services anymore. And they back away and back away and back away, and there's a, there's a, a slow drift. Okay, Listen. Which one's the one that gets eaten? It's the isolated one. He wants to isolate you so that he can destroy you. That's the way to, if you got an issue in your life and you're noticing, man, I got this issue, here's what you need to be doing. If this is the herd and the chief shepherd's right over there, you need to be going, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. I just need to get, up. you need to get right in the middle of the herd, why? Because that's the safe place and the devil wants to isolate you so that he can, number four, annihilate you. After desolation comes annihilation, okay? Now here's how this works. You need to know this. If the devil could do whatever he wanted, he would slit your throat. He would slit your children's throats. You you know this? The book of Revelation says that what the devil has been doing for all human history is waging war against children as they are born. If you look back at human history, do you know why when Moses was born, the first thing Pharaoh did? Slaughter all the children, when Jesus was born, what's the first thing Herod did? Slaughter all the children. Uh, in uh, all the pagan foreign religions, do you know what? They practice child sacrifice. And even in nations like ours, children are slaughtered by the millions. Do you know what that is? That is the influence of the devil waging war against humankind. Okay, He wants to move you to isolation. Now, here's how this works. The Bible says that right now he is bound. He can't kill you. So he wants to get you to do it yourself, okay? This is the voice inside of your head that says things like this. It is absolutely inevitable that you will have a moral failure. Just end your marriage right now. Uh, It's the voice inside of your head that says, you'll live with this issue in your life forever. You will never get freedom. The only escape is to self-abort it's the voice inside of your head that's saying you're trapped. It's the voice inside of your head that says this. The only way out of your pain would be for you to end your life or end your marriage or end your faith. He wants to move you to isolation. Listen, he is not. Listen, some of you are like, Oh, I don't believe in the devil. Listen, he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. That's the only thing he cares about. Your destruction. Okay, now listen, listen right now. Listen. Here's why it's so critical that you understand this and you believe it, all right? Some of you, you come from Presbyterian and Baptist backgrounds, like me, and whenever you got an issue in your life, you think, what I need is discipleship. I need more spiritual disciplines, more Bible, more prayer, and that's awesome. I'm so glad that you believe that, okay? On the other hand, Some of you come from charismatic and Pentecostal backgrounds. Anytime you got an issue in your life, you're like, oh man, I got a demon and I need deliverance. That's all, it's the only issue, okay? Well, let me ask you this. To get the freedom that Christ has purchased for you, do you need discipleship or deliverance? Which one? That's exact. yes, yes. You need discipleship, you need deliverance. Listen, the Bible says there's two things conspiring against you, your flesh the part of you that does not want to live in submission to God and demons who are a real force at work in your life. So listen, there's a pastor I trust said this. He said, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. Okay. we just, listen, this is, I'm just, this is what's going on in the new Testament. Okay. So that's it. That's point two. Now at this point, this is a spot where some of you may be getting a little intimidated because you go, oh, man, point number one, there really are demons. Point number two, they really do attack. Uh, and this is a point, you may be getting intimidated, but you might be intimidated if you didn't know who was on your side. That's the only way that you'd be intimidated. Do you notice that in every single instance of exorcism, of dealing with demons in the New Testament, Jesus just issues a one word command and the fight is over. In this passage, I command you leave and never come back, done. You know what's really interesting about this? Did you know that Jesus is not the only exorcist uh, that history records? There were, there were thousands of them. In Egyptian ancient literature, there are stories of exorcists. Uh, in Jewish literature, hundreds of exorcists. But Jesus is different from all of them. Do you know how? Every other exorcist ever recorded... Uh, relied on some ritual i got to do all these six things and then maybe it'll work or they all called on a higher power in the name of ra uh, in the name of you know my god whatever it was have you ever noticed jesus he never calls on a higher power he just says i command you leave gone why doesn't jesus ever call on a higher power do you know why Because he is the higher power. (laughs) He is the higher power. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That is evil spirits included. His is the name that is above every name. And when he is appealed to, he has an authority that they have to obey. In my house, sometimes I'll call for, uh, I'll, uh, I'll send my oldest, Eliana, go call Felicity to come down for dinner. And she'll run upstairs, she'll say, Felicity, come down for dinner. And Felicity just totally ignores her. And then uh, Eliana will come back down. And I'll say, Eliana, go back up. Tell her to come down for, tenor, for dinner. And then say, Daddy says. Immediately what I hear is, that's, that's what happens. Do you know why? Because in the Howerton house, there is a name that is above every name. That's what it is. That's why. Well, listen, it is the exact same way in the spiritual. The name of Jesus is above every name. And when that happens, every knee bows, he has to obey. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed in the book of Revelation, at the end of time, when uh, Satan and all of his entire entire army of demons are cast into the bottomless pit, that God only sends one angel to do the whole thing. For a whole army, he sends one angel. I kind of picture it like this. There's gonna come a day where Jesus looks down and he says, that's enough. I have had enough, it's done. And he's gonna say, Somebody take care of this issue. Go down, throw them in the bottomless pit, all of them. And I just kind of imagine Michael saying, Well, Jesus, uh, who should we send? And I just imagine him kind of looking out from his throne and saying, Ah, send the new guy. <laughs> but when he goes, make sure he goes in Jesus' name. Because that will always work. Now, listen, right now, what I want to do is that I want to ask you to go ahead and stand. I want to ask the band to come out, I want to ask the prayer team to come forward. And what this passage said is that it says this kind can only come out by prayer. That's what it says, by prayer. And when God's people pray and they call on the name of Jesus, freedom happens. Uh, Breakthrough. (laughs) That's a real thing. It happens. And so right now what I'm going to ask is a band's going to start to play. And we've got some of our elders are here at the front. And some of the leaders of our church are here. And uh, I'm going to ask you, as soon as we begin to sing... If you need prayer in any area of your life, you're not saying, oh, I have a demon. Uh, If you need prayer in any area of your life, I just want to ask you to come forward and receive prayer. Uh, If you have an issue that you can't get freedom from, a a sickness that you need an elder to pray over you for, uh, if you have an an emotion, any type of way, anything in your life you need prayer for, let's believe that Jesus hears prayer and moves okay and so uh, as soon as we begin to sing just step out and come forward Uh, don't be embarrassed listen if we're embarrassed to receive prayer at church we've got a very serious problem and we're going to step out and believe this kind will come out by prayer so let's sing and if you have any issue come forward and we want to pray with you and i'll come back and lead us in a second come now come now